We are uh, right in the middle of a series called Reframe, where we're looking at essentially how to reframe our lives from what they were into what God has intended for them to be. And we say it's a guide to biblical health and wellness, but how many know your wellness is your whole being, all that you are, body, spirit, soul, all of that. And God has a plan for all of that in your life. There's nothing about you that he didn't think about, that he doesn't have a plan for. And so we're kind of working through all of that. Uh, Our key verse for this series comes from Jeremiah 29, 13. We're gonna read it to you every week. And here we go, it says this, and you will seek me and Find me. How many know it's good news that God can be found? He's not like that one friend you had when you were young, you play hide and go seek, and they go hide and they never come out. They're like so good at it, you never find them. You're like, man, we're having pizza now, you can come out. They're like, I'm not coming out. They're never going to find me. God's not like that. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. But here's the qualifier. When, when you search for me with all, say all. All right, just make sure you're not falling asleep yet. With all your heart. All your heart. All your heart, think about that for a second. All your heart, all that you are. He's saying, seek me with all that. And with that in mind today, I wanna talk to you about how to reframe your emotions, your feelings, your heart, who you are. And here's the thing, if you've you've been around Vintage for a while, we just crossed the two year uh, mark last week. Happy birthday. My team's like, we didn't throw a party. I was like, I know, I told you guys, I'm really bad at celebrating. Like, I'll totally come to a party that you throw. Uh, but I'm not good at that. So we celebrate with two years. But if you've been coming here for a while, you've heard us talk about emotions before. And sometimes when we come around this, people are like, Pastor, are we really talking about emotions again? Yes, we are. Here's my question for you real quick before we get into this. Since the last time we talked about how to deal with how you feel, has, has any emotional experience in your life maybe caused you a little bit of a problem? Have you experienced even just one challenging emotion? Or 10. And Stacy said that in the last service. So maybe since then, there's been 10 more. Sometimes that's the way it is. We go through a 24-hour cycle with 20 to 30 emotions that we don't want, we didn't ask for, and we need to figure out how to deal with. So that's why we keep coming back to it, because it's a repetitive cycle. We are emotional beings. Everything that we do comes with feelings and comes with emotion. And meanwhile, the Bible is literally screaming at us, to deal with them, to subject them to the word of God. And we, by the way, we, we, is in me, you know, point one finger at you, there's three pointing back at me, we're terrible at dealing with our emotions. We really are. But today, I believe if you will buckle in, pay attention, take some notes, God's word's gonna help you learn how to deal with how you feel. Now, here's the thing. Even Jesus, I always get sort of, when I get to this point, and I look at how he answered this question, the Pharisees come along, they're trying to stump him. They're like, hey, hey, hey. You big shot teacher, what's the most important law? What's the most important thing? He replies with this in Matthew, excuse me, in Mark, it's in Matthew 2, but we're gonna go to Mark's version in 12, 29, 30. He replies, this is the most important commandment. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Do you hear the emotion in that response? about the greatest commandment. What does God want? He wants all of it, all of it, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus, in a sense, he's telling them, you know, it's not good enough just to say, I love God. You know, I could come to my wife, as I do often, because I'm a good husband, and say, I love you. But if I come and say, I love you with everything I've got, 
to give love, I love you. How many know that conveys a little bit more? Goes a little bit further, doesn't it? All right, husbands, take some notes. That one was for free. I may or may not be making up for not saying it that well earlier today when I said I love you. God wants us to passionately love him. Not just acknowledge him, not just admire him, not just fear him. All those things are good. But he wants us to passionately love him. And he wants a powerful emotional connection with us. So let's start with this. Let's talk about understanding emotions and feelings. Here we go. Now some of you are like, oh, I picked the wrong day to come to church. No, that means you picked the right day to come to church. Number one, emotions are neutral. Write that down. If you're taking notes in the app or in the notes that we hand you, by the way, you're smarter with a pen. Statistics prove that. You remember more when you write it down. So write down. Emotions are neutral. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Let's think about something else for a second. Fire is neutral. Fire is neutral. Whether fire is good or bad all depends on how it's used, right? A little nice cool night outside, a little warm drink in your hand, and a cozy fire in the fireplace. It can bring warmth and even comfort and good vibes into your home. That's good fire. Fire left outside, unrestrained, can be exceedingly destructive, can do damage beyond almost comprehension. You know, I spent a number of years in ministry early in my life, and then I've been in ministry for a number of years now, but there was a 10-year space in between where I worked as a catastrophe insurance adjuster. So I would go where catastrophic things happened, and it would damage people's homes or their commercial buildings or whatever, and we'd have to try to make them whole again. And I, during that time, I worked a couple wildfire events. And I got to tell you, when you go into a place that's been devastated by a wildfire, it's not called wildfire because it's safe and tame, a wildfire. The destruction is unfathomable. It's almost too destructive to even be able to explain with words or show in pictures and video. Like when you get there, you're like, I have no idea what this used to look like. I have no concept of what used to be here. You get to a home that's a slab and maybe a fireplace. And you're like, I have no idea. Nothing is as destructive as that. Katrina, New Orleans sits underwater. For days and weeks. But guess what? You walk into the house, you're like, well, I know what it looked like at least. Can't live there anymore. We still got to knock it down. Nothing is as destructive as fire. And here's the thing. It's the same with our emotions. Same with our emotions. Our emotions, when in check and tapped into, according to God's word, can actually be like that cozy fireplace. It may feel cozy around you. It can bring comfort. It can bring warmth. It can bring good vibes. But just like that wildfire, your emotions out of control will bring utter destruction into your life and everyone's life around you. So they're neutral. You decide what you want to do with them. Number two, number two, here's the next thing we have to remember about emotions. God has emotions. Many people don't realize this, but God has feelings. He experiences grief. He experiences pain. He experiences happiness, all of these things. I could actually spend the rest of the 22 minutes and 14 seconds and counting, and I'm going to get done close to that probably a little over, just warning you ahead of time. I could spend the rest of our time together giving you literally scripture after scripture after scripture demonstrating the emotions that God experiences. For your sake and mine, because we all want to have lunch at some point today, I'm only going to give you three, but take a look at this. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Sympathize, to sympathize, to show sympathy, to experience sympathy. That is an emotional response. Ephesians 4.30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Another version says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know you can grieve God? You can. 
And we do, often. Judges 2, 13 and 14 says this. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal. It's another God. It's another spiritual deity. It's not the big G God, little G God. That's for another time. But they abandoned Yahweh to serve Baal and images of Ashtoreth. And this made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. Made the Lord burn with anger. Have you ever, by the way, let's talk about God's anger for a second. He's not angry at them because he's like, why are you worshiping another God instead of me? That would be our response. He's like looking going, you are walking off a cliff of destruction, worshiping something that is going to lead to death. And I'm over here saying, I have life to give you. And it makes me angry that you would choose death over life. You ever experienced that before? You see somebody walking off a cliff and you just get angry. And like, you're not really mad at them, but you're mad at what they're doing because it's destructive. You're going, God, it's so much more for you if you could just get a hold of it. This is the anger that God experiences. Now, here's an inconvenient truth that's actually true um, that you should all remember. God loves you unconditionally. But lean in, lean in. He's not always happy with you. He's not. He's not always happy with you. Like, oh, I go to church to be encouraged. Pastor Nate's always so hard on me, stepping on my toe. He's not always happy with you. He's not. He's not happy with us when we sin. He's not happy with us when we engage in idolatry and put other things above him. He's not happy with us when we uh, live out in selfish ways and execute selfish behaviors that are detrimental to ourselves and others. He's not happy with us when we walk in disobedience to his word. He's not happy, by the way, being second, third, fourth, or wherever you put him on the list that's anything but first. But he does still love you. And if that's hard for you to comprehend, many of you are parents in the room, just think for a second about the unconditional love that you have for your kids. And then those moments when you're not so happy with their decisions. Those may happen once, twice, or 20 times a day. But just because you're unhappy with the decision that your child makes or a disobedient act that your child commits, doesn't mean you stop loving them. Everything God gave us in life is a metaphor. I don't know if you know that. But the way that you can actually love your child while you're unhappy with them literally is a metaphor. It's a picture to go, this is how God relates to you. He loves you. He's not always happy with you. Now, one of the ways that we can know that emotions themselves are not bad, number three, is because emotions are a gift from God. A gift from God. I know gifts are good things. When it's not something good someone gives you, you don't call it a gift. You call it something else. Emotions are a gift from God. It may not always see them that way, but even negative emotions in your life are a gift from God. Guess what? You're not a robot. You're a human being. And because of that, we have to talk about two emotional extremes. And we've talked about this before. Some of you weren't here then, so I want to cover it. We'll go quickly. But there are two extremes that we have to avoid. We have to avoid if we want our emotions to be subjected to the word of God and to the image of his likeness. First one is emotionalism, which says, all that I feel is all that matters. You know people like that? What I'm feeling right now, that's all that matters. I'm gonna, I don't feel good about this, so I'm not doing it. I feel great about this, so I'm going to do it. That makes me happy, so I'm going to go do that. That's emotionalism, and it will just drag you around. The other one is stoicism, which says, how I feel doesn't matter at all. I don't have any feelings. I don't feel anything. I'm just grumpy McGrumperson. And that's not a feeling, by the way. I have no feelings. You know, you know people like that? I don't have the feelings or nothing. So emotionalism says feelings are everything. Stoicism says feelings are no thing. And I want to tell you that both of those things are ditches and extremes that will take you away from how God 
created you to be as an emotional being. All right, now let me give you some other truths about emotions. Number one, this is going to be hard for some of you to understand, but our emotions are not reliable. Did you know that? They're totally unreliable. You can't rely on them. You can experience them, but you can't rely on them. You can like them. They can make you feel alive. That's part of why you have them. But it doesn't mean you should rely on them. You ever had a friend you really like, but you absolutely can't rely on? You're like, man, I love it when I'm with you, but I never know if you're going to respond to me, if you're going to show up to the thing I asked you to, if you're going to do what you say you're going to do. We all know people like that. If you don't, you probably are that person. So, But our emotions are that way. They're like the friend that we love, but that we should not trust or at least rely on. And for some of you, this is really self-evident. You're like, I know. Thank you. I've been in counseling for 10 years. I am very well acquainted with how unreliable my emotions are. And some of you, for me to try to tell you that your emotions are unreliable is going to be about as fruitful as me trying to convince you that the sun is not hanging in the sky right now. Because you're like, my emotions are all I've got. What do you mean I can't rely on them? What else do I have except for how I feel? I mean, how I feel is real, Pastor. Don't you know that? It's true. But it's not always real. It's not always real. You don't believe me? How many of you, especially at a younger age, you fell in love with somebody and you just knew that that was going to be the one in like third grade and now you don't even remember their name? What you feel is not always real. Certainly not reliable. Certainly not reliable. And by the way, by the way, I got to keep talking about this for a second because this doesn't just mean that bad emotions are real. Good emotions sometimes aren't real. Some people are like addicted to happiness and they want to feel happy. And I don't know if you know this, but most addictions that people develop start out because they make them feel happy. They make you feel good. I mean, most people don't get addicted to something that the first time they try it makes them feel really bad. It happens occasionally. But for the most part, whether it's a substance or an activity or a person, whatever it is, usually like, whoo, that felt really good. I want to do that again. The next time, well, that felt good. I should, and by the third or fourth time, you're like, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it did the first time. But I still feel something. So I'm going to keep doing Next thing you know, you're going, this is killing me. I don't know how to stop. That is someone who is chasing a feeling. Chasing a feeling that results in an addiction. Always remember a couple proverbs that you hear often here. Maybe this is because they say when preachers talk about the same thing a lot, it's because that that's what they need to hear. This is what I need to hear. If you need to hear it too, bonus, icing on the cake. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it's just death. It's all that's there. Sometimes we see, oh, I feel I need to go down this road. No, you don't. It's going to end in death. Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts his own heart is a, can you finish it for me? Is a what? A fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Do you see what these two scriptures are saying? Just because something feels right doesn't mean it's right. And by the way, by the way, if you just blindly trust your heart and follow your heart, it actually makes you a fool. It's not my job to protect you from your Bible. But that's what it says. And we have to remember there is a huge difference between following our feelings and being led by the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, works through your feelings. So it's a little tricky sometimes. I get it. Is this me or is this God? That's why you have to seek him with all your heart. So you can find him in it. Is this my emotions? Or is this the spirit of God working through my emotions? If you haven't learned how to do that, that's a growth opportunity for you in spiritual maturity. 
And guess what? You should stop at the small group table if you don't have one, pick one out, show up this week and ask somebody in that group, how do I know the difference between my feelings and God's feelings? You just go home and try to figure that out on your own, you're probably not going to figure it out. So get around some other people. See what they might have to say about it. I like how the Good News Translation puts this. I don't know if you know this, but when you study the Bible, just read all of them. There are people who are like, what's the best translation? You can get saved on all of them. I like different ones for different reasons. I read them. Sometimes I like how one says it, so we give you that one. Here's Good News Translation, Romans 8, 6 and 8. To be controlled by human nature results in death. To be controlled by the Spirit results in life and peace. I'm just curious. Is that binary question difficult for anyone to answer? Which one you want? You want death? You want life and peace? It's not that hard. Those who obey their human nature cannot please God. There's so many problems with following your human nature. I mean, one, it leads to death, but two, you can't please God. If you can't please God, I don't know if you know this, you can't please anybody. Not forever. All you can give is what you got. And if you don't have him, you're not pleasing him, and he's not pleased in you, then you can't give that to other people. All right, I got to keep going. Number two. Truth number two. Our emotions, yes, even yours, can be manipulated. I know some of you think that you're too smart to be manipulated. Someone manipulated you into thinking that. Maybe you manipulated yourself into thinking that. But marketers... Got anybody marketing and advertising in here? Come on, real estate agents. You know the drill. They got to fall in love with the property. Doesn't matter what it costs once they fall in love with it. Selling cars. You go buy a car. I tried this one time. I was in between jobs. I was like, maybe I'll sell cars. I had some people selling cars. I had a guy that managed a car. He's like, you should come sell cars. Dude, you'd be great. People love you. You should come sell cars. I went in there. First of all, the first meeting I was in, I can't repeat anything that was said in that meeting. Every third word was something I can't say. But I go in there and I, I find out, I confirmed what I thought to believe, be true, which was that selling cars is all about emotion. It's all about emotion. It's not about sticker price. Sticker price is the first emotional hurdle. You have to get over that. They're going to put you in a car, help you figure out what you like. And then they talk to you about what you look like in this car, what you feel like in this car, what everybody's going to think about you when they see you driving this car. And next thing you know, you're so addicted to this car, you're so hooked on this car, that your emotions begin to override your logic center and you will spend crazy, stupid money to buy a feeling that lasts until you go shopping at our nice little neighborhood HEB and somebody parks too, too close and gives you the old door ding. And then all of a sudden, all those feelings vanish. You're like, whoa, this is not, oh, and I'm eight grand upside down since, I don't know, Friday. You want to buy a new car, buy a new car. But just understand what people are trying to sell you. They're trying to manipulate your emotions. The book of James speaks to this. James chapter 1 says this, verse 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and drags us away. Do you know what it means to be enticed? It means that your emotions are being manipulated. But you have to remember, it taps into something that you already want. He goes on to say, these things then give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is the process. One of the things you have to know if you're going to control your emotions is that when you start to actually want something or something appeals to you, it's because you do actually want it. Now, whether you need to want it or not is a different question. But you can't be tempted with something you don't want. I've used this example before. Please forgive me. But anytime I get a chance to bag on the nasty fruit known as an olive, I'll do it. 
You can't tempt me with an olive. It's disgusting. There's nothing inside of me that would ever want to eat that again. I've tried it once. If you eat it, thank you. I appreciate you, Mr. Jones, for clapping. You should clap a little louder because saved people know that olives are disgusting. The only thing that good comes from olives is olive oil. That was a joke, okay? I know you're saved even if you like olives. Your salvation has nothing to do with it, but there's something wrong with you if you like them. And my wife likes them. She's not perfect. She's perfect for me, but she's not perfect. That's one of the imperfections. She likes olives. And sometimes she likes to eat olives and try to trick me and kiss me. It's the only time you'll see me repulsed from my wife. The kiss is when I smell the black olive coming my direction. But you got to remember, you can't be enticed by or tempted by or lured to something that you don't want. So when something starts to pull on you and you go, ooh, that kind of feels good. Even if you know it's wrong, you got to go, oh, there's something inside of me. This is why David, in his repentance, after he sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah, if you don't know the story, I'll be happy to tell you later. Or again, you can go to a small group and ask them, and they'll tell you. But David said, create in me a clean heart. Change me so that I no longer want to do those things. That's what he's saying. I coach a flag football team, and I was talking to them about the difference between winners and losers. How many know you can be a winner and still lose? But if you are okay with losing, you're a loser. That's why I thought we can't be okay with losing. Now, we might lose a game, but if you're like, oh, yeah, it's fine if we lose. That makes you a loser in my mind. I mean, nobody really wants to lose. If you do, I'll pray for you after. Come up. We'll pray that off of you. Get some deliverance ministry. We want to win. It's okay if we lose. But you've got to be honest that there's something inside of you that wants something that you shouldn't want. You go, man, I actually do want that. God, change my heart. Change my heart, oh God. Create in me a clean heart. Take that away so that I no longer want it anymore. I don't think I have to fill in the blanks. You can all do that for yourself. But listen, here's, what you, here's the point. When you live your life constantly and continually making one decision after another to satisfy a feeling, you will inevitably discover truth number three, which is this, that uncontrolled emotions will ruin your life. It's sad, but true. Uncontrolled emotions will ruin your life. The wisest man other than Jesus to ever live was Solomon, and he wrote this in Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What that means is you have no protection, you have no boundaries, you have no governance, and everything is about managing your mood. Everything. If you don't learn how to deal with what you feel, your emotions will override you. But if you constantly... Just shut down all of your emotions. Your likelihood of success in life and relationships also is going to go down with it. Study after study has shown that a high EQ, an emotional quotient, quotient, is more important and is a greater protector of success than IQ. You ever met people that are like real smart, but they're not less successful? You meet people, you're like, all right, but they're like just killing it. If you can learn how to manage your emotions and relate to people well, your chance of success goes through the roof. I can't do calculus like my son, who's a nuclear engineering student. He's like sending me math problems. I'm like, what language is this? I can't. I, he's so much smarter than me. Sometimes that doesn't matter. You gotta learn how to regulate yourself, rule your own emotions, learn how to relate to other people well. First Peter says it this way. This is also from the Good News Translation. It says this, from now on, you must live the rest of your earthly lives controlled by God's will and not by human desires. This is the process of discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to be a Christian? It means this right here. From now on, you live the rest of your life 
being controlled by God's will and not your own. That's that. I was with some guys on Friday night at Oak Ridge Disciple House talking with some guys. These guys are in a six-month program recovering from addiction. Like, some of them been incarcerated addiction, been to rehab first before they come here addiction. We're talking about massive life-disrupting addictions. And we're talking about this. How do you do this? And we're trying to get down to the simplest question. Simplest question. And we, we landed at this. When you're faced with those enticements, and those desires, whether it's to just run with a feeling or to do a thing or whatever, here's the question. Would God agree to do this with me? Would God agree for me to do this? It's like so simple. Now, there, I understand there's more complex scenarios sometimes where wisdom prevails, but if we're talking about the lowest common denominator, like the bottom line, is God good with this? Just ask yourself that. I want to do this. Is God good with this? I want to consume this. Is God good with this? I want to go here. Is God good with this? I want to go. Fill, you fill in your own blanks. Is God good with it? If the answer is no, you already got your answer. If you should do it or not. It's like when my kids say, hey, can we go out and play? Is your room clean? Your answer to that question is my answer to your question. That's for free too. I tips for husbands and parents today. No tips for wives. Ask my wife for that. She'll help you out. All right, with all that in the background, how many know that there are sometimes emotions, good and bad, that actually become harmful for you? You feel things and you're like, Oof. and then you look up and you realize I've been chasing this feeling and now it's kind of actually doing me some damage. So I, I, I want to help you because I've given you some truths, I've given you some principles, some precepts, all of that. But first, before we leave, we've got to get into four ways to handle harmful emotions. Contrary to popular belief in our culture today, you can actually manage your emotions. You can. You do not have to be subject to them. You rule them, they do not rule you. The first thing you have to do is name it. Write that down, name it. You gotta put a name on it. You gotta know what you're dealing with. And sometimes you need help doing that. Sometimes you need a counselor. My wife and I have a marriage counselor. Help us chill out. Well, how are you feeling? And we'll tell her what we're thinking. She's like, I don't care what you think. Ask what you're feeling. It's hard sometimes to just know what you're feeling, what you're thinking. You need somebody to say, what are you, what are you feeling? You've got to be able to name it because, by the way, if you, can't, if you can't identify what it is, you can't do anything with it. You know when a little check engine light comes on in your car? You can't just go replace your tires and expect that's going to solve the problem. You're just throwing money at something. You have no idea what the issue is. Some of us deal with our emotional lives that way. We're like feeling stuff. We don't know what it is. So we run to the addiction. We run to the whatever. Fill in your own blank. And you think it's going to fix it, but you haven't even decided what it is yet. And sometimes you can't decide it on your own. I mean, sometimes I feel like David, Psalm 55, 2, he says this, my thoughts are restless and I'm confused. Anybody ever been confused before? And I feel this way. Sometimes I'm like, I'm just, I'm confused. I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. I'll give you a couple stories and examples. I, um, as, you, as many of you know, I enjoy playing golf. Um, that is sort of my mental therapy sometimes, but although my wife says, I don't know, man. Sometimes you're like, you're angry when you play. I'm like, well, I'm competitive. I don't like to lose, you know? And so Friday, I'm out playing a round of golf, and my driver, it was just a very disobedient driver that day. It wasn't doing what I was telling it to do. And so I'm, I'm out playing, and I'm so frustrated with this thing that I am just like, I am done. I'm ready to snap it over my knee. I know, you're like, ooh, that's a little intense. With the I know, I'm an emotional being. Hello, it's okay to have emotions for you and for me. I'm so mad at this thing. I come off the course and I call a friend of mine and he's a, he's a master fitter. He does fits you for clubs and he's also 
very knowledgeable and helpful to like look and see what you're doing and help you. And so I ran into George early uh, yesterday morning at the Circle K here in Liberty Hill. He's like, why are you up so early on a Saturday? I'm like, I'm going to fix a problem. What are you doing? He's like, I'm going to make some money to fix a different problem. I'm like, all right, cool. You fix yours, I'll fix mine. And I'm 7 a.m. going down to, 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 to my friend's shop. And I'm like, I got to figure this out, dude. Help me out. I don't know what's going on. And so I'm in there just hitting balls while most of y'all were still asleep and uh, trying to figure this thing out. And, and when I left, I came out with like eight things written down on a piece of paper that we changed that day. Three of them were equipment related, so this wasn't all my fault. Okay, thank you. It was a little bit, but five of them were me. He's like, why is your tea set up so high? I don't know. That's where it feels good. That tea is stupid. Throw it in the trash. Don't ever use that again. Here's where you're supposed to be, right? Why? I watched you hit with five clubs. You pick up your driver, your whole grip changes. Your grip's perfect over here. Why'd you do this? I mean, and I'll, I'll spare you the scientific analysis of my golf problems, but the point is he was able to literally stand there and watch me identify problems and by the time I left and went back to the driving range, I'm like a whole different person. And a whole, it's still me. It's still the same club. And now it's doing what I want it to do. Because someone stepped in and said, hey, let me name the issue for you. I could have been out there all day yesterday by myself and would have fixed nothing. Because I didn't know what the issue. I need somebody to step in. This is why spiritual family is so important. Somebody else that can speak into your life is so important. Because other people see things in you you can't see. Raya came and told me, he said, hey, man, can I just tell you, we don't, we don't see this screen. I've probably done it like 50 times in this message, even though he told me. He's like, you point at this TV, no one even knows it there. When you say, look, let me show you something, it's up here. I didn't even know that until he told me, so I'm thankful. And eventually, I'll break the bad habit of pointing at this little screen that no one else can see. We need that in our lives. But we need it because we can't always figure out what we're feeling. I'm kind of a think first, feel later person. So usually I know it's like I start thinking about something bad and then I get upset. I think about something fearful. I start to fear, feel fearful. You know what I'm talking about? I think about something that makes me happy. I start to feel happy. But sometimes emotions sneak up and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm feeling right now. I can't name it. I was reminiscing as I was working on this message, thinking about a day uh, many years ago where uh, on the same day, ready for this, um, we put our youngest son into kindergarten. So we take him to school, first day of school kind of thing, kindergarten. And then we get in the car and we drive to UMHB in Belton to put our oldest son, move him into his dorm room in college, same day. Um, and by the way, that same day, our son Asher had his first day of high school and our daughter Ellie had her first day of middle school while Luke has his first day of elementary and Josh is moving into his dorm room at college. She said, it's a lot. You instantly, the emotion. Can... So we're driving back from Belton after moving him in, trying to get back in time to pick up Luke. We don't want to be late. First day of kindergarten. Where's mom and dad? Why are they the last ones here? So we're trying to race back to get back to pick him up. And I'm just quiet. And she's like, so what's going on? What are you, what are you feeling? I'm like, I have no idea what I'm feeling. I'm feeling so much and I can't name any of it. And so we spent that 45, 50 minute drive. She's like asking me questions. Well, do you think it's this? Do you think it's that? And next thing, we're working through and we're starting to name. And how many know it's just a weird day? And sometimes weird days happen and you start to feel stuff and you can't figure it out. You need somebody to talk to you to help you through it. But naming your emotions, as important as it is, naming your emotions is never enough. I know that that point went really long. You're all like, oh my gosh, he's still got three more. That was on one and it's already 12.07. You're going to be fine. I'll get you out of here in a few minutes. I told you, I warned you it was going to go a little long, but not that long. Number two, we're going to go fast through these. After you name it, next you have to challenge it. Some people just start, with, start and stop with name it. Okay, I figured out what it is. This is what it is. So now this is what it is. It is what it is. Number two, you have to challenge it. I don't know if you know this, but you cannot, you should not, you should never just automatically accept what you're feeling and assume that it's accurate, true, or even in the realm of reality. Because often it's not. It needs to be challenged. Are things as bad as they seem? Probably not. 
Are things as good as they seem? Probably not. But sometimes you have to challenge how you feel. Psalm says, Psalm 26.2 says this, examine me, Lord, and test me. Evaluate my inner thoughts and motives. Do you know what a motive is? It's the motivation. It's the emotion that leads to action. It's why sometimes we spend too much on a car because our motivation is I want to retain this feeling, so I'll just spend the money so I keep feeling this way. That's the motive, right? And the psalmist is saying here, examine me, evaluate me. Did you know that it's actually okay to interrogate your own feelings? It's also okay to invite a trusted, wise person to interrogate your feelings. Well, let's talk about why you feel that. Where does that come from? I don't know. Well, it comes from somewhere, so I don't know is not the answer. We'll keep searching until we find it, right? And you go through that. I'm going to give you three quick questions to ask. I promise this will go fast, but this is how you challenge it. Number one, what's the underlying reason I'm feeling this way? Get to that answer. If you don't, you have to stay there until you get it. What's the underlying reason I'm feeling this way? Number two, is what I'm feeling true? Like, is it based in reality? Oftentimes we feel things because we're believing the worst about ourselves, about other people. We get suspicious without reason. Listen, you have to ask this question. Is what I'm feeling true? Is it based in truth? Sometimes the answer is yes. I'm not saying the answer is no. That's why it's a question and not a statement. But you still need to know the answer. I feel like he doesn't like me anymore. Do you know that? Has he said that to you? Do you? If yes, okay, then we can deal with that. If no, well, maybe you should go ask that question. Number three, is what I'm feeling helping me or hurting me? If I embrace this, is this going to lead to life and joy or death and destruction? It's a good question to ask. Because oftentimes people run with their feelings headlong, like I said, off the pier towards death. And everybody around is watching going like, what are they doing? Why is he going? Why, why are they, what, what? But the person in the middle of it, they don't know. They're just chasing a feeling. And off they go. And our feelings can be powerful. They can do a lot of things. But you got to challenge it. And this is how. All right, number three. Challenging it's not enough. Number three, you got to replace it. You have to replace it. You have to learn to tame your emotions, especially unhealthy ones. And again, outside society will tell you how you feel is what is true. That is your truth, what you feel. No, it's not. It might be connected to truth and it might be connected to lies, but it's not. And it can be changed. You can actually replace it. And I'll show you two ways you can replace it. You can change it. You can actually change it, right? Philippians 2.5 says this, you must have the same attitude. You know what an attitude is? It's an emotional disposition. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. If your attitude is not like Christ and you're being instructed to have the same attitude of Christ, is it possible for you to change your attitude to that of Christ? The answer is yes. Is it hard? Absolutely. Does it take time sometimes? Of course it does. No one's going to click your heels three times, say there's no place like home, and then all of a sudden you're just like Jesus. It's a process, but it can be done, and it's one you have to work. Another thing you do is channel it. So talk quickly about a negative emotion that may be based in truth. I've met a lot of people who are victims of abuse. They have been actually abused or had significant wrongs done to them. And so their emotions of feeling pain and feeling hurt, and feeling betrayed, and all those things, those feelings that they have, they're all true, because they really have happened. There's still a choice, and it's not a fast one, and it doesn't happen overnight, but there is a way to channel those feelings into something positive. So many people, so many people I've known 
have been actual victims of someone else's doing. But with the power of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, they've learned to channel those feelings to become a blessing and a benefit to others to help them navigate what they're experiencing. Now, again, it doesn't happen overnight. And your feelings are real, so you can be validated in them. And also, God can use them for your good. Because why? He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, of course, he can channel it. Of course he can do that. The last thing I have to tell you, though, because these first three, you can do these on your own. It's not going to work as well as if you do them with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the application of the Word of God, and with spiritual people walking with you. But you can name it. You can kind of challenge it. You might even be able to replace it. But here's the last thing. People of God, you have to learn to do number four, and that is to surrender it. You have to learn to surrender it. The last, all those three steps I just gave you, they're crucial to disciplining your emotions. But if you really want to make lasting change in your life, you got to do number four. And the Bible actually has so much to say about this. I could have made this part of the whole message one scripture after another. I'm going to give you several that aren't on the screen and I'll land with one that does. And if you want to write these down or you can listen to the podcast on half speed later, you can get them because I'm going to go really fast. But I just want to machine gun you with God's word for a second because we are called to surrender. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but let, let, make a choice. Let the peace of God. And it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 55, 2. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That's good news. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's saying, come and give it to me. Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts, that's emotions, to him. For God is our refuge. Psalm 147, 3. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And this verse here speaks to God, caring for the emotions, for the hurt, for the pain. And he's saying, hey, I will fix you. I will heal you. And here's one for you that I will put on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Many of you know that one. And many of you know the next verse too. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. But there's two more verses right after that that we still have to read in this context. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Sometimes you think you got it all figured out. Probably don't. Instead, fear the Lord. Turn from evil. And watch this. I love verse 8. This whole thing has been about emotions. And then watch what God does right here. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Science has proven what the Bible's been saying. I mean, we didn't know this when Solomon was writing these Proverbs, but now we know that stress and negative emotions and hurtful emotions actually affect your physical body. Some of you know how. I got this spot in my left shoulder blade. When I get stressed out, it feels like someone sticks a knife in it. I don't know why that happens. It just does. Our bodies react physically to what we experience emotionally. And God is sitting here saying, if you'll just trust me with your heart, that's with your emotions, that's what you feel. I know you feel that way. I made you to feel that way, but trust me with what to do with it. Don't seek and depend on your own understanding. That's gonna take you off a cliff. Come to me, seek my will in everything you do, and I'll show you which path to take. 
So many people, I just don't know what to do. I know, but God knows. Yeah, that's the preacher answer. No, it's not. It's the true answer. It's coming from God, not from me. I don't make this stuff up when I give you the word of God. I'm not that smart. That's why I'm giving you what he says. And while you're in the midst of it, don't be so impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear God. Turn from evil. Just start with that. Would God say yes to this or no to this? Then do that. Turn from the evil to do what he asks you to do. And then the promise comes. You will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. I don't know about you, but I can use a little bit of that today. Would you go ahead and just bow your heads with me as we pray and prepare to close? Lord, I thank you so much for emotions. I love them. I love the feelings, the good and the bad. It lets me know I'm alive, and I thank you for it. I thank you that you have them and you've made us like you. But Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name that for those who have been enslaved to their emotions one way or another, some are just drug around like a little puppy dog that doesn't want to go on a walk, just dragging around by their own emotions. Lord, I pray that you would set them free from emotionalism. Some people today, Lord, they don't want to feel any emotions. They shut everything down immediately because they just experienced pain one too many times. So now they say emotions are nothing. I don't want to feel anything. Lord, I pray that you would set them free to be able to feel the joy and the pleasure that comes from walking with you. Oh, and the sorrow of what sin causes so that we can learn what not to do. Lord, I thank you that you do care about all of it that you validated how we feel, that you're an emotional God, you made us in your image to be emotional beings, but I pray, God, that you would help us. Lord, Jesus, help us to subject our feelings to your word. And Lord, this last step, oh God, that you would help us to surrender when things don't make sense, even when we can't understand it. Help us, Lord, to surrender those harmful feelings to you and to actually leave them, lay them down and walk away. You know, sometimes in this moment of prayer, please keep your heads down and your, your eyes closed for a moment. Sometimes in moments like this, people are like, man, I can't surrender to Jesus, my emotions, because I haven't surrendered my life to him. And if that's you in this place today and you've, you've never said, Jesus, I'm gonna surrender myself to you, all that I am. I wanna give you an opportunity to, to do that. In the book of Romans, in the Bible, chapter 10 verse 9 and 10 it says this if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart all your emotions that God raised him from the dead you believe it you will be saved for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation this scripture is the same as what we started with if you seek me with all my heart if you believe in me with all my heart, all your heart, if you confess that I am who I said I am with your mouth, I will bring salvation to you, to your soul, to your body, to your spirit. And if that's you today, I need to surrender to Jesus. I just want you to slip your hand up on the count of three. One, two, three. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Anybody in this service, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for every person in this room now, Lord, that you would help us to surrender our emotions, our actions, our plans, our steps, your ways, not our ways. God, and that as we pursue you, that you will bring healing and wholeness to our full beings, body, soul, and spirit. I ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus.